and that is the death of art. Wait, so, but I'm so done. let's okay, let's all take a deep breath. This is Writing in Real Life, a podcast about writing, publishing, parenthood, and marriage. I'm Barry Liga, and with me, as almost always, <laughs> is my co-host and my wife, Morgan Baden. Your very tired wife. Very tired. I know. I know. Thank you for powering through <laughs> for the podcast audience. Well, we inadvertently skipped last week and the week before, right? Well, we're doing every other week. Right. So we accidentally skipped last week, but I was actually going to say we did it deliberately because it was a holiday yeah. weekend. But you've ruined that. <laughs> Thank you. So, yes, you caught us. Um, but, no, we're back, and uh, we've got a lot to talk about. So, so much. Hopefully we'll get through all of it. But if not, there's always another episode. That's mm-hmm. the glory. This is not a limited series. This just keeps going until one of us drops dead. So, all right, let's get started. All right. Uh, the first thing I wanted to do was just really quickly remind people about my ACLU fundraiser okay. for 2017. Um Which is every month I am self-publishing a short story, and all of the profits from this short story are going to the ACLU. So please... No one wants to donate to the ACLU. uh, Yeah, terrible. Why why would you need to donate to the ACLU? We don't need them. Uh, So if you can go to uh, my Amazon page or Barnes & Noble or iBooks or Kobo or go to BarryLiga.com, you can see the July story is called The Life Cycle of Stars Ignition. And uh, click on it and buy it and spread the word. And uh, do some good in the world. You don't even have to read it. Like, just buy it. Yeah. I don't even care if you read it. Just buy it so that I can give more money to the ACLU. <laughs> that, that's what it's all about. Um, so, okay. Now I want to talk about something that annoys me. Of course you do. Because I never do that on this show. Never. What is it? Instagram. You're having a bit of an Instagram problem. WTF with Instagram, Morgan. You are the goddess of social media. Explain to me WTF. With Instagram. I, yes. Okay. So, dear listeners, here's the problem. Some enterprising young fan, we assume. We assume young. (laughs) uh, Several years ago, chose Barry's name as his Instagram name. Yes. Basically, you know, is squatting on the name Barry Liga on Instagram. Right. Um, And there's only so much you can do about that. We have tried. uh, And by the way, his account is inactive. Yeah, this person hasn't actually posted anything on Instagram in two or three years. Yeah, Yeah. And yes, to clear things up, when this person was posting, it was all Barry Liga things. It was repurposing images from the I Hunt Killer series. It was stuff that my publisher had made these really cool images uh, that were on, I think, Facebook. And this person just grabbed them without crediting them and threw them up on Instagram. Yeah. Um, And for a long time, I admit... I didn't care. Of course not. You didn't want an Instagram account. Whatever. And now I've been thinking I'd like to be on Instagram. and Well, and I mean, just from a strategy perspective, you don't even need to be active on Instagram, but it is important for people to have their own names on social platforms. Correct. Yeah. So I am Barry Liga, all one word, on every platform. Mm -hmm. That's That's my domain name. That is who I am on Facebook. It's who I am on Twitter. It's who I am on Tumblr. It makes sense to be that on Instagram as well. So, I had so you are you are on Instagram. So you tried to contact whoever I did. I, is I running this private account. message. Yeah, and said, "Hey, to you no know, avail. Yeah, would you be willing to give this up so that Barry could use it?" We never heard back. I posted on my various social media platforms. Hey, if you are the person doing this, get in touch with me. Nothing. Uh, so finally, I, I went to Instagram itself and reported reported the it and said, "Look, this person's impersonating me." 
So, and the problem now with social platforms, such as Facebook in particular, which owns Instagram, they're so, the volume is just so high and they don't have the staffing to adequately research every report that they get. I'm not justifying it. I think it's terrible, by the way. But basically, you have someone sort of responding to your complaints, but not not understanding the situation. Basically, the way it works is they look, I mean, I can tell you, they're looking for certain keywords in what you say, and then they have a canned response. And I know this because I got the exact same response from three different people at Instagram. Uh And basically, I started off by saying, hi, this person is impersonating me. I am actually me. Here's a picture of my driver's license. Here's a link to my website. Here's all this information. Please give me this account. And they responded. They said, we need some more information. That was their first response they said you know can you tell us exactly what's wrong and i'm thinking oh my god i just did so i basically rewrote it and uh they got back to me and again a canned response said uh no this person just happens to have the same name as you right sorry (laughs) and i started to only be sharing photos of your books (laughs) i no, if they didn't say that well no they didn't say that at all well that's just it and i first of all i laugh because like i've actually explored this in the past because i was curious like i am literally the only barry liga in the united states yeah um it's not a common name it's not a combination that is common um, and on top of that, again, this person is just sharing information about my books. What are the odds? Like, let's assume that was another Barry Liga. Yeah. What are the odds that some other Barry Liga would just decide to share pictures from my books and nothing else yeah. on Instagram? Uh-huh. I wrote back saying that. And they said, oh, if this is an intellectual property violation, you, you need to contact these people. Uh-huh. And I'm like, it's not. I need to, you know, this person is, has taken my name uh-huh. and is doing this. And I got the exact same canned response of, we've investigated, this person just happens to have your name. Right. So I responded again, and they came back to me once more with a canned response saying, oh, this is an intellectual property violation. Contact these people. And I'm like, no. So did you ever contact the IP people? I did not. Okay. I, did I not. feel like maybe you should at maybe this point. Maybe I should. Maybe I should. So we went back and forth like this a couple times, and finally I, as rarely happens, lost my temper and, <laughs> and responded to them saying basically... Have you read anything I have sent to you? I've heard from four different people there, and you've all said the exact same thing, and none of you have directly responded to anything I've said, and uh, I've got nothing but time. I can keep responding to your idiotic comments over and over again until somebody there actually reads what I have said. Yeah. And I haven't heard from them since. Um, So I'm assuming they actually read that. Oh, maybe. The other option is to talk to your publisher, because hopefully Hachette... I'm thinking Hachette in particular because it's their IP, yeah. right, that, that that this person is posting. Um, they should have an Instagram contact because they hmm. do social media advertising with Instagram. That's an idea. Presumably. And they should be able to talk to someone. I just thought of that. I don't know why I didn't tell you this two weeks ago. Sorry. Yeah. Anyway, this annoys me. This pisses me off because it is another example of how companies use poor customer service right. to avoid doing work. Yeah. Instead of actually having people who are empowered to even ask you reasonable questions to help you, they just have canned responses, again, based on a couple of you know keywords that they see in your email. Mm-hmm. They give you canned responses, and it just becomes a cycle of when he says this, you say this, so on and so forth, until finally the person just goes away. Yeah. And that's bullshit. It's like insurance companies. Health insurance. It's like, like they, every they company. Get, yeah, it is. They get it's you like so every company. 
uh, they just confuse you with so much conflicting information that they want you to give up. Right. Yeah. But there is a point to this rant. Really? Yes. There's a point to this rant. Well, you know, based on the show. And you, you hinted at it. And that is, like, I'm not crazy here. Like, it makes sense for me to be Barry Liga on Instagram, right? <laughs> like, I shouldn't have to be the real Barry Liga on Instagram or yeah. Liga Barry on or Instagram. Or official Barry. Or official yeah. Barry or anything like that. I should be Barry Liga. Like, I'm not mm-hmm. crazy to think that's important, right? You're not crazy to think it's important. There I don't think go. it's the end of the world well, if you if it doesn't work no. out and you end up needing to be. No, Donald Trump's the end of the world. Well, but, I mean, accurate. yeah. All right. I just wanted to. That okay. was where I'm going with Clear. this. Is you know. So I will say I went onto Instagram and DM'd this person again. Yeah. Haven't heard anything, and then I reported the account a few ah, days later. Okay. But the account's still up there. So I mean, I'm assuming that that again, this was a an enthusiastic, well-meaning fan. Yeah. Who set this up um, a number of years ago, and then got bored very quickly doing it. Yeah. And hasn't thought about it since and whatever email address was connected to the account is either inactive or it's going to spam or whatever. And so there's, there's nothing I can do because Instagram itself has no interest in actually helping. Right. Yeah. So it's just another one of the graveyard of dead social media accounts that exists out there. Like MySpace. Yeah. So anyway, if anybody who works at Instagram is listening, dude, step up, step up, give me a hand. All right. Moving on. I want to talk about Netflix. Okay. Netflix is exploring interactive storytelling, and I'm just here to say, I told you so. Tell me when. I don't know. Because way back in episode 15, the one where Leia flirts. Gosh, this was, that's a long time ago. It's a long time ago. That was like one whole baby ago. Uh Uh-huh. We talked. other city. We talked about how Netflix was using uh, data from, uh, from people who were watching their shows to tell the creative people creating the shows how to change things you need to change this because it keeps people watching longer and keeps them binging and blah 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 and i said this is only going to get worse and publishing is going to start to use this and now netflix is going to be forcing its shows to create multiple scenes alternate versions of things and let viewers choose what happens and that is the death of art wait so so let's okay let's all take a deep breath maybe a shot God, I wish I had a shot. Settle down a little bit and talk about how this is actually going to happen, like, use case. So, is it going to be every show? No, nobody knows yet. Okay. And the idea is that a show decides, okay, so in this scene, we have three different ways to go here. We're going to film all three. And then, what, give people spoilers and let them watch which one they want? Here we go. So, from the article, which, again, people can read for themselves, but if they're not so inclined, here we go. It says, uh, uh, Netflix is working on ways to give viewers control of key plot decisions. Wow. Okay? Uh, Some of the storylines will be simple and linear, like Choose Your Own Adventure books. For example, viewers might decide whether an inmate in Orange is the New Black joins a gang or not. That's not a small thing. No, it's not. That is huge and has... I mean, video game people will tell you, like, that creates branches that are very complicated to deal with. Um, So, yeah, a source says uh, all the content will be there. People will have to get through it in different ways. We'll see how it plays out. It's an experiment. For creators, it's new territory. Wow. To me, for creators, it sounds like a nightmare. (laughs) Well, in, uh, you know, Pollyanna over here trying to see the bright side, it's actually kind of cool for creators because it does let you explore all the not all but 
additional avenues of the story that maybe you thought of for a second, but then you were like, no, we've already decided we're going this way. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, I think it's more storytelling for the storytellers. That presumes that as a storyteller, you're interested in doing that. Sure, yeah. Just because you have the opportunity to do it doesn't necessarily mean that it's something you want to do. Sure. I mean, I discard alternate paths in my writing all the time, and I have zero interest in exploring them. It's a good thing you're not writing for Netflix. I discarded them for a reason. Right. Because they didn't work. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just saying, this is the end of the world. This is the end of the world. (laughs) This and Donald Trump working in concert. This is the end of the world. There you go. All right. I mean, listen, I I obviously don't think it's as dramatic as you do, but I, I understand your point. I don't like the general trend towards let's give every consumer of our content exactly what they want all of the time exactly and you know uh, there will be a backlash at some click point. here and cooper doesn't go into the black lodge right, right, click yeah, here and uh-huh. cooper does go into the black lodge yeah. click here and harry says no coop don't yeah. do it yeah mm-hmm. no uh-uh no uh-uh all right there we go now i'm done with that i've had two rants so far and we're, we're all we're, so excited we're only like 13 minutes in and it's already been two rants okay um i want to talk we talked a little while ago about john grisham yeah. And, and then I happened to listen to a podcast with him, uh, the Long Form Podcast, okay. which is an interesting uh, publishing podcast where they just take like an hour and sit down and talk with a writer. And it's really cool. And, I, and he spoke... Is it like inside the actor's studio? You know, it, it almost feels cool. like that. I mean, they're, you know, one of the things I like, I, I will admit here that for a period of time I was obsessed with inside the actor's studio. Really? Yeah, I just, I, you know, I, I like the sort of behind the scenes kind of this is why I made this decision sort of thing. So I, I watched a lot of it and I, I liked the questionnaire at the end. I really mm-hmm. thought it was interesting. And a number of years ago at a Yalsa uh, uh, event, they had uh, my friend Terry Truman, who is a Prince winner up on the stage and they did the oh, questionnaire cute. with him, which was really cool. And I've always thought that that was a really interesting thing to do and, and to do with writers. And I would love to do that, like mm-hmm. to be asked those questions. But anyway, um, they, uh, they, they talked to Grisham for a while and just, he said a lot of really interesting things. I encourage people, we'll put a link in the show notes, go listen to it. But, uh, one of the things they asked him was, does your financial success change what you write? Ooh. Which I thought was a great question. Uh huh. And he was very honest. His answer was, yes, I won't write something that won't sell. Wow. He, he feels an obligation to his readers and to his publisher to write something that is commercial, something that is marketable. He said, you are not going to see me write a quiet literary book. It's not going to happen. He says, maybe someday, you know, you know, 20 years from now when I'm retired or whatever, but he's like, no, I have to write books that sell because he feels like he owes it to his fans. I believe so. Yeah. Like he owes it to them to write something that they'll know. Yeah. Like, I know what you like, Yep. so I'm writing that. Yep. And also for the publisher, you know? Yeah. I mean, so what do you think about that? I think that's really interesting. I thought you were going to go in a different direction, and by you I mean he, um, <laughs> which was more along the lines of, well, having a certain level of financial success means I can take more risks. Clearly that is not the case. He, he did not. <laughs> he feels exactly the opposite. Yeah. Which wow. is interesting, because he has written a few books that were... Uh, sort of off-brand. He wrote mm-hmm. Playing for Pizza, which was a weird book about a football player who goes to Italy to play in the Italian League, hmm. um, and a couple of others. But 
but by and large, yeah, I mean, he's done like 30 books or something yeah. like that. And they're all a certain type of book that sells a certain amount. And he does that intentionally. And he has no intention of straying from that. And I, I guess I find that interesting because he is, you know, roughly 10 billion times more successful than I am. Mm-hmm. And yet, in a way, he's constrained in ways that I'm not. Absolutely. That's what I was just thinking was, you know, everyone knows of a musician that you love who has, you know, I don't know, who has a certain sound or a certain right. feel to the music and then has an experimental album. And all the fans go, this isn't, this isn't canon, you know? Right, like, right. Um, and, and there's a split amongst fans in that kind of case where some are like, well, no, she's allowed to do it this way. Right. We, she owes us nothing. Yeah. Uh, and others that say, no, I expect this sound from her. Where is it? Right. And I, obviously now we know which side Grisham lands on. But I guess I never really thought about it with writing before. Other than, although we, we have talked in the past about um, authors who sort of stray from their brand occasionally. Right. And, and what does that mean and how do you react to that? But, um, but I think you're right. He does sound a lot more constrained. And uh, that's, that seems a little unfair for him. You know, I, like, I don't know how I would feel about the, the, that. The phrase golden handcuffs yes, comes exactly to mind. It. Yes. And uh-huh. yet he did not sound, and again, people can listen for themselves, and I don't want to psychoanalyze John, John Grisham based on you know, an hour-long podcast, but he didn't sound upset by this. Yeah. You know, we're, we're using terms like handcuffs and constrained and things like that. He sounded like he was fine with this. Well, you know what? It also indicates a level of um of of thinking that this is my job. Right. So I am doing my job yeah. versus I am an artiste right. making art, yeah. you know? And uh, I'm not denigrating either option there. Right. Uh I think he's more of a pragmatist and than certainly, I realize. And certainly he's famous enough, wealthy enough, and successful enough that he could just say you'll get a book in 5 years. I'll, yeah, I'll, it's ready when it's ready. But you know, he sits down and does the work and yeah. and plugs away. And uh, you gotta hand it to that's... someone like like Joe Rowling, who you know, obviously. Oh, she could. But yeah. uh, but think it like she ended up writing under a pseudonym, a right. completely different kind of book, and is continuing to do that. Like it's right. it's awesome. Well, I mean, you know, that again is somebody who could. I mean, the phrase "rest on your laurels." That's what I'm saying. You know? is like I mean, she, she didn't could, have to do that, yeah. and you well, know, and, you know, she didn't have to do "Cursed Child." She didn't have right. to do "Fantastic Beast." She didn't have to do any of that. Mm-hmm. She had enough money, and she could have just sat back and spent the rest of her life counting it, yeah, or doing good things with it, giving you know, it away, whatever, which giving it away, yeah. which is which is great and good for her. And it's just it that's interesting to me, you know, and that to me is sort of the mark of somebody who is an artist that, you know, the easiest thing in the world for her to do would have been to do, you know, an eighth Harry Potter book or the first book in a new series right. about the kids or Spin-offs. whatever, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. that sort of thing. And instead she did the Robert Galbraith stuff. Yeah. You know, Stephen King did the Richard Bachman books mm. when, when he was ascending and, and becoming enormously popular. He wrote these four or five novels under a pseudonym and deliberately wouldn't let the publisher really promote them. He wow. wanted to see, like, can I do this again? Yeah. Like, I wrote these books and I became a superstar. Can I do it again? Yeah. Is it possible for me to do it again? And that, to me, is the mark of an artist because he was less interested in how can I continue to build on my name and my brand and more interested in the work. Right. You know? Yeah. Fascinating. So, yeah. I just, you know, people people bash John Grisham a lot. Um, Do they? Yeah, well, you know, because they say, oh, his characters are sort of two-dimensional. And his, I've literally you know, never blah, blah, read blah. a Grisham book, and I um, never will. 
and and but I I think he's a fine writer. I think his books are exciting and and they're page turners and interesting. And he has a point of view. And well, I he's enjoy doing it. something right. Yeah, he's definitely doing something right. And yeah. I just you know I think because because he's not an artist. Yeah. And I'm doing scare quotes there, folks. I think a lot of people who are artists or who style themselves artists feel like it's okay to look down their noses at him. Well, of course they. And do. it's like yeah, you know what like yeah no like he, he, he's doing good work. Leave him alone. Anyway, so I just thought that was interesting. Moving on. Are you familiar with Patreon? I only am because you've told me about it. <laughs> yeah. Patreon is, is interesting. And for those who don't know about it, it's a it's sort of like Kickstarter. But it's a thing where you contribute, you commit to give a certain amount each month. And it's really designed, it's, it's a patronage system. It's like the old patronage system in the arts where... You agree to put up a certain amount per month, and the the creative person you are supporting, patronizing, agrees to produce a certain amount of content mm-hmm. that you will get to see on a monthly basis. I think it's very interesting. Um, there's a guy named uh, Tobias Buckel. Buckle. I sorry. I'm, I Let's have no buckle. idea. Buckle. Buckle sounds good. He's a science fiction writer. He's he's pretty famous, critically acclaimed, and he's and I just stumbled upon a Patreon that he's doing, and I found it interesting that he was doing it because I thought, oh well, he's pretty well regarded I'm, yeah. I'm not sure why he needs but you know everybody's finances are different and i think this is a good lesson too like you know even 10 15 years ago if you were on the new york times bestseller list you were doing pretty well yeah. and it's very different now people hit the list for one week and then disappear right. mm-hmm. um so it's very different and and he's doing this patreon where basically he's saying that he will write a short story a month that's one of the goals okay that's one of the if you Contribute a certain amount, you will see an exclusive short story a month from him. And I'm like, okay, that's that's fine, that's cool. But then also one of the things he's offering at, at another level is uh, sneak peeks at what he's working on. Wow. And I have to admit that scares the hell out of me. Like the idea yeah. of showing people what I'm working on while I'm working well, on. Well, I guess it. the question is, is it um, is it like general sort of generic like i'm working on a book that's about a guy named steve who is traveling across the country right that's it or is it like here's the first 10 pages i think it's more like here's the first 10 pages or as they exist at this point in time i just feel like man that's opening yourself up to i mean i mean can we talk about the the general concept anyway because i'm i don't think i like this concept of of the patreon in general okay why why not I don't know. It's not sitting well with me, and I'm trying to figure out why. Huh. Well, I'll, I'll, while you're thinking about yeah. it, let me point something out here. And, and, and God, like, I don't know this guy, and I'm not picking on this guy. It's just he's the one I stumbled upon, mm-hmm. and I find his case interesting. I'm, I have no interest, like, no vested interest in whether he succeeds or doesn't. Yeah. So please don't think that I'm trying to run him down or anything. But I find it interesting that he has not met his goal on his Patreon as of the last time I looked. His goal, apparently, he he writes novels and short stories, but he also does freelance work as well. And what he's trying to do is, with the Patreon, um, make up for the freelance work so he can stop doing the freelance work and just write his own stuff, okay? Okay? Which is a a laudable and and highly desirable goal. Okay. Um, So that's fine. I find it interesting that he hasn't met his goal, which means he's sort of got the worst of both worlds, if you think about it. Yeah. Because now he's got to produce these short stories and he's got to show people but he still has what to he's do working on. But he also still has to yeah. do the freelance work. Yikes. Now, less freelance work because the amount in the Patreon defrays the freelance work a little bit. But it's, you know, he, 
it just seems like the worst. And, and that's what would worry me in going into it yeah. is what if you don't meet your goal, but now you're still obligated to do the things you promised to do. Yeah. And it, it just feel it. Yeah. It, it, that doesn't feel ideal to me at all. I guess what's, I'm trying to figure out if there's a person whose Patreon I would support. And I can't ah. think of one. Well, like what if Tori Amos put one up? I don't think I would. Really? Maybe when I was 16 and like Tori and consumed just my life. Dough. No. <laughs> but like Tori <laughs> consumed my life, you know what I mean? Yeah. But like now no. Like huh. I'm I'm a different kind of fan of people now. Yeah. I'm much more patient. We have other things when to you, do. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And like I'm I'm willing to wait for things when right. the artist is ready to release them, like that kind of thing. And I, but even writing wise, like I don't know. It feels a little bit especially when I hear about like this is this particular person's attempt to stop freelancing, then it's like, oh, so you just want me to pay for your side? You just don't want to do your side hustle anymore. <laughs> Which, like, that's uh, no one wants. Who wants to do a side hustle? Right. You know what I mean? Just to get by, no one. But I don't know. It just feels strange. Like, a, I, yeah, I still can't think of anyone that I would do it for. B, it feels a little bit quid pro quo in a way that I don't like. Mm. Um, you know, this is kind of similar, and this is what's fresh in my mind, is Curtis Sittenfeld, an author I adore, yesterday posted on her Facebook page. And she's not super active on Facebook. Um, so when so when she is, it's, it's sort of a nice treat. But she said that she is basically taking suggestions for the title of her next book, which, by the way, sounds amazing. It's a fictional account of Hillary Clinton. Uh a la, what if she hadn't married Bill? What right. would her life be like? So this is going to be fascinating anyway. So she's taking suggestions for the title and says if she actually chooses one of these tit- your titles, she'll um, do something for you. Either you'll be in the acknowledgments or she'll name a character after you, whatever. So I've been thinking about that, and I'm like, this is such a cool uh, a, a cool way to participate in the fandom of Curtis Sittenfeld. Yeah. Um, and sidebar, I've been racking my brain trying to think of a title and I can't. But anyway, it's a it's an it's a neat Facebook thread. Go and look at her page if you want to take a look at it um, anyway on your own time because it's very cool. But regarding this, how it relates to a Patreon, Patreon is that what it's called? Patreon, yeah. Patreon. Uh, I just keep thinking like, okay, with Curtis, this is a way I'm authentically engaging with an author I like. With a Patreon, it feels very much like, hey, I'm giving you money now. You owe me things. Yeah, but I don't want an I don't want an artist to owe me anything. Right, I, the artist doesn't owe me anything as a fan or a reader or a watcher or whatever. Like, yeah, I mean, you know, there was an article. Uh, Neil Gaiman wrote an essay a few years ago when people were were screaming at George R. R. Martin for being so late. with, yeah. with the next uh, Game of Thrones novel, yeah. which just feels like is always what's going on now. <laughs> but uh, this was, you know, people were really just piling on. And he wrote an essay called George R. R. Martin is not your bitch. <laughs> and basically said, you know, he doesn't owe you anything. Yeah. And I kind of feel like a Patreon or a Kickstarter or a GoFundMe or whatever for artists means you're saying, no, I am your bitch. Yeah. Like, I am willingly your bitch. Yeah. Um, and that's a weird thing. And, you know, you know me. Like, I'm really interested in new models. Yeah. I, I'm always fascinated by these things. And I, I get distracted by them and waste a lot of time thinking about them <sighs> just because they're interesting to me. And Kickstarter, Patreon, these are things I've, I've thought about a lot. And I could never think of a way to sort of make it work for me in a way that I felt would be successful and would also be palatable yes. to me. Yeah. And I could never figure it out. But I also regret that 
authors feel like they need to do this? Well, I I regret that they ha- that some of them have to. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, there are some people who are doing this because they literally have no other way to monetize their work. Right. But for hundreds of years, lots of writers have wanted to monetize their work and haven't been able to. And yeah. guess what? Then you go get another job where you can monetize whatever we, it is you're We doing. live in a very, you know, there there's a theory that that the current model for art and commerce is an aberration. Mm-hmm. That the idea of you produce a piece of art and give it to a company to mass produce for sale, that that's not something that's sustainable yeah. for more than the century and a half huh. or so it's been going on. Okay. Um, and I'll try to dig up. There was an article I read about that. I will try to dig that up and put it in the show notes for people who are interested. Well, I guess I just think, like, if you can't, and I don't mean this in a mean way, and yeah. it's going to sound mean. Sure. But if you want to be a writer and you cannot sustain a lifestyle on your writing, then you get another job. Right. Like, that's okay. Right. No one owes you. you. The world does not owe you an opportunity to make a living as a writer. Right. Right. I mean... I mean, that, mazel. Go, right. Go. Well, and, and, and that said, like, if you can put up a Kickstarter or a Patreon or something like that and get enough people to contribute to it, then good for you. Right. Um, you know, that's great. Uh, and, and I think it's good that there are ways for artists to work outside of the typical system uh-huh. because the, the, the system as it exists is not always to their benefit. Uh-huh. And a lot of times, a lot of choices are taken out of your hands. Um, so things like self-publishing or Kickstarter or what have you, I think... Are, are good, but I also don't think that they're necessarily saviors. They're just other tools that yeah. you can employ. Um, and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting, nonetheless. Yeah. So let's talk for a moment about our listeners, whom we love, <laughs> in a passionate, filthy, almost pornographic way. Um, I already don't like the t- <laughs> this intro to the conversation. I'm just, I'm just saying we love our <laughs> listeners. That's all I'm saying. Uh, we have a new listener named Julia who sent us a lovely email. She did. It was a really nice email. It was email. a very nice email. Apparently, she binge listened. Which, Which wow. is insane. I feel like we should send you a bottle of that's wine. Like, that's like 40 or 50 hours of, of <laughs> us jabbering. Uh, so, wow, yeah, a bottle of wine and maybe some weed. She's in she's in Colorado, so it's, <laughs> she it's legal. She weed. doesn't need our weed. She can just go get her own down the corner. Yes, we don't have weed. We don't have any weed. <laughs> Which is too bad. Send weed. Um, anyway, <laughs> having said that, uh, she says a lot of cool stuff in the email. Thank you, Julia. But, but we want to focus on uh, on one thing in particular, which is she is concerned. She is a uh, she's a writer. She is trying to get published, and she's concerned. Well, because... I feel like first we should set the scene that she's basically my Colorado doppelganger. This is true. This is she points out she's basically you west of the Rockies. Yeah. Um, because she works in social media. Works in social media. She is has, writing on the side. Has two and kids. And has two kids. Yeah. 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 Um, so that's pretty funny. But she is really worried about author etiquette on Goodreads, which we've. I, we've talked about Goodreads before on this we podcast. Have. We have and strong I'm on feelings Goodreads. about it. I, oh, you are. That's yeah, right. I'm, yeah. I'm on Goodreads, and and I understand where she's coming from because she joined Goodreads a long time ago, ten years ago, ten years ago, and so she's been reviewing books there yeah. and, and rating them. She and joined was, as a reader. Yeah, and this was before she was writing, apparently. Mm-hmm. And now that she's writing and trying to get published, she's worried because there's this ten year history of of, <laughs> of rating books, of rating books, yeah. and you know. Some books are not good, and she says they're not good, and right. she doesn't want to be an author who trashes 
other, other authors. authors. Yeah. Um, I was worried about this when I joined Goodreads. I joined Goodreads after I had already been a published author. Um, I don't remember why I decided after years, I'm like, oh, I should be on Goodreads. And I, I really struggled with it because I know the whole point of it is to review and rate books. And mm -hmm. I don't, I just, I'm not the kind of guy, I, don't, I try not to, to uh, trash talk other authors in public. I just mm -hmm. don't think it's, it just doesn't really accomplish anything for yeah. anybody. Um, not a good look. No, it's, yeah, you know. So what I did was I decided I would put up a book and I would say something about it. I would write a little mini review or, or a recommendation or whatever, but I don't rate it yeah. on, a, on the one to five star scale, uh, which is a ridiculous scale anyway, and we won't get into that right now. <laughs> but that, that was what I decided. That was the compromise that I made with myself, and I felt pretty comfortable about that. Um, but this is a different situation. She's got a backlog, yeah. and she's like, do I delete my account? Do I delete all these reviews? What do I do? Yeah. Um, so I've been noodling on this one for a little bit, yeah. and I think I actually just landed on on my decision for what that, it's worth. That Julia. sound you hear, those the, the helicopter rotors you hear in the background, folks, <laughs> Morgan landing on the solution. Which is, if you think about what it is you want to be, is it a reviewer or a writer? If the answer is writer, then I would probably, if it were my account, I'd probably go back and delete the reviews, mm. or the, at least the star ratings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The other option is to keep any star rating that's like four or more stars yeah so then you're not looking like you're bashing right. anyone else um but yeah i think it i think it isn't a question of optics and yeah you don't want to have a book deal someday and then you know some gossip rag like pw no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> but, but someone looks at your you know googles you and sees your goodreads and says and and sees this 10-year history of reviews and I don't know, cherry picks maybe something you've said about a book or an author that uh, that they have issues with, and then it becomes a thing. And I I don't know. I, I guess the question is, is it worth it? Like, what's the benefit to you to have all of those ratings still on there? Right. And I'm gonna go with probably not much benefit. So, th you know, that's yeah. my two cents. I think that I mean I think that's probably the best way to thread the needle. Uh, you know, she doesn't want to delete the whole account. No, don't delete she, the account. And she doesn't want to delete the book. She says she doesn't want to look like an author who doesn't read, which I think is kind of funny because I, I literally have 25 books up on Goodreads. I have read yeah many many multiples of that. Yeah, you know, in I the past a... couple of years alone, and it's like. But I, you know, I, I have a Goodreads account. Yeah. I don't know what the login even is, and I don't even know what's on there. So yeah. I, I don't think you have to worry about that. It's, I can't imagine yeah. that people are going to look at your account and say, wow, she doesn't read. Yeah. Or she only reads this. I mean, you know, if, if that really bothers you, I'd say, you know, delete the problematic ones and just put on your, you know, the intro to your account yeah, or like, on your profile page something like, you know, these are just some of my favorite books. Right. Something yeah. like that. And then yeah. don't worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's the other key too. Is like, don't stress too much about this. Yeah, you know. It's, yeah, it's okay. I think yeah, this is a solvable problem. Yeah, and I think that makes sense. Yeah. Although after ten years, it might take quite a long time to go through and root out the bad ones and get rid of them. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. that's a lot of books. That's yeah. I mean, how I mean, much time do you want to spend on this? Yeah, and, that's gonna yeah. be a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. So. But kudos to you. I understand the um, uh, like uh, in terms of your commitment to Goodreads. I think that's cool because I've always tried to. I've like dabbled here and there in Goodreads and and also apps like Litzy, where it's another way of keeping track of your books and reviewing right. them and and whatever. 
I just am not that good at doing that. Like, it is a struggle for me. I, I keep a Google Doc for myself yeah. where I try and log every book I read each year, and then I blog about it at the end of the year just with the list of the books I've read. That took years for me to even nail that down. Right. So anyway, so kudos to you, Julia, for actually having a place where you are logging your books. And, Seriously. You know, I think that's cool. Yeah. All right. Well, there we go. We've solved Julia's problems, so I feel good. <laughs> I have so much more that I want to talk about, but we are already running long this yeah, episode. We're out of time. So I think we're going to have to talk about this stuff next time. Uh, this will include such exciting topics as potty training. <laughs> so everybody, get excited! Strap on your diapers, people. <laughs> uh, we will be talking about that and some other things, and uh, and we will see you all in a couple of weeks. Um, please follow us online on Twitter. We are at WIRL Podcast. Visit us online at writinginreallife.com. Check out the show notes. Leave us feedback. Send us an email. We love to hear from you. And uh, please subscribe to us on iTunes and give us a rating. It's actually been a while since anybody has given us a rating. We would like another five-star rating. It would, make, <laughs> it would make us feel good. It would just make us feel good. We're not asking you to contribute any money. We're just asking you to contribute a click. There you go. Thanks a lot, everybody. We will be back soon. Have a good one.